All right, guys, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Corey. How does a pirate sell all of his possessions? A yard sale. Yeah, right? How does a greedy nut sound when it sneezes? Cashew. Cash? Greed? Cashew. Ah, man, it's early, right? Well, I won $3 million in the lottery this weekend, so I decided to donate a quarter of it to charity. Now I have $2,999,795. Always borrow money from a pessimist. They never expect it back. (laughs) Ah, man. You guys don't get it, huh? Well, no, you do. Well, what's the theme of these jokes here today, right? Um, Money, possessions, material wealth, material goods. That's what we're going to talk about today. We just finished the section in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus had been dealing with the subject of spiritual disciplines, right? Uh, The religious authorities in Jesus' day, they did charitable deeds, they gave money, they prayed, they fasted, but they did it all to catch the eye of men. Remember this? We're just coming out of that section. Today we move into this new section in which Jesus will deal with this uh, subject of material possessions. Today's message and next week's uh, message, not next week because we'll be in the park, but after that we'll deal with this same subject. So why is this so important, this subject of material wealth and possessions? Well, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the um, religious authorities at the time, They believed, their theology was such that they believed that if God loved you, he blessed you with material possessions and wealth. Um, You know, they thought if God didn't love you, you were poor. And if God did love you, you were rich. And that was their theology of wealth in that day. It's actually relevant today. There are many Christians who believe that God wants all people to be healthy and wealthy. That's the same doctrine is still espoused uh, today. They're trying to harmonize the pursuit of material wealth and following Jesus. Now, is that possible? Is it possible to pursue material wealth and be a follower of Jesus? So we're going to see what Jesus has to say. It's it's really important, I feel always, and I'm sure you agree, just to see what Jesus says on subjects. We don't care about the opinions of man. We don't care what the world says. We care about what our Lord and Savior says. And so... It's going to be really helpful to answer that question 
uh, from the mouth of Jesus today. The culmination of this section that we're in uh, is found in chapter 6, verse 33. If you look at it there, verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then it says all these things will be added to you, talking about you know, your basic material needs. All these things will be added to you if you seek first the kingdom of God. And that's the culmination of this section. Seek first the kingdom of God. So what does it look like when that comes to material wealth and possessions? Well, we're going to find an answer to this today. Because God is to be your master, you must guard against allowing material things to take his place. That's really the main point of of our message here today. If you get a hold of anything, it's this. Because God is to be your master, you must guard against allowing material things to take his place. So to do this, you must, number one, choose what you will treasure. That's the first part of our outline. You must, number two, choose how you will see. And number three, you must choose whom you will serve. So to guard against allowing material things to, you know, take the place of God in your life, you need to choose what you will treasure You need to choose how you will see. That is, will you see things from a spiritual perspective or a worldly perspective? And then the last point, choose then whom you will serve. So number one, choose what you will treasure. Look what he says there. He gets right into it and says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Now, right off the bat, Jesus is not prohibiting owning things or planning for the future, right? The scripture uh, commands providing for your family and thoughtful planning. Uh, This has to do with our attitude towards material things, our attitude towards material things. In fact, it's okay to enjoy the gifts that God gives. Uh, Paul speaking to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So what Paul's saying is, teach rich people not to trust in their wealth. Uh, It's not supposed to be trusted in, but he says, God's given us all things to enjoy. So if you feel guilty about enjoying some of the things that God's given, just, you know, uh, the Bible says that God has given us all things to be enjoyed. It's okay to enjoy uh, material possessions, you know, and, and to enjoy the things that God provides. What Jesus is prohibiting is trusting in material things. God gives all things to be enjoyed, but when we trust in them for our security, for our peace, for our comfort, for our joy, or for our happiness, then we've gone too far. That's what he's saying here. A good example of this is the rich young ruler. Turn over to Matthew 19. Let's look at this guy. Matthew chapter 19, and at verse 16, I just want to read a story that is right out of the Gospel of Matthew. That's a very good illustration of this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I'm sorry. Matthew 19, verse 16. Is that what I said? Did I say both? Ah, see? You guys. Just testing you, just checking. 
All right. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Verse 18. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man... His problem is not that he had possessions, right? This man's problem is his possessions had him. It's not that he owned a lot of things, it's that his things owned him. That was his problem there. For him, spiritually speaking, the best thing for him to do was to go sell everything that he had and give it to the poor. That's why Jesus told this particular man to sell everything that he have and give it to the poor and he'd have treasure in heaven. Because this man trusted in his wealth. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew his heart. He knew that money was a God in his life and possessions were a God in his life. And he says, you know, the best thing for you is to get rid of that. Jesus doesn't prescribe that for everybody. But that was this man's biggest problem. And might I say that quickly today that This might be your biggest problem. Maybe the best thing for your spiritual life is to commit to a life of voluntary poverty. It might be. God knows. Where he says, lay up for yourselves, back in Matthew 6, verse 1, he's not prohibiting material possessions, but rather the selfish sort of materialism that ties a person's heart to the earth. You see, we're stewards entrusted with material goods. That God has given them to us for us to be stewards of them. So we are not to treasure them up for ourselves. I think that's the key word there. Lay not, uh, you know, do not lay up for yourselves, right? It's God's money that he's given me. They're his possessions that he's blessed me with. Therefore, I'm not to lay them up for myself, right? They're given to me so I'll be a good steward of them and that I will use them Uh, appropriately, as God wants me to. And he goes on and he talks about why it's just kind of foolish to treasure up earthly treasures. He says, because moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The thing about material wealth is like, um, you know, moths, right? You've got your brand new, you know, nice cashmere sweater and you forget to put mothballs in the container, you know, when you're storing it and you come back and the moths have destroyed it, right? And rust, you know, How about, uh, you know, you have a car or you have some sort of, you know, you got a motorcycle that you really love or something like that. Well, don't put too much into it because, you know, rust destroys these things. Um, And then he says, we're thieves breaking and steal. Well, material wealth is susceptible to unexpected tragedy, right? I mean, things can happen. And so Jesus says, don't treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Actually, the word translated lay up is the same root word where you get the word treasure. So a literal reading of the Greek would be, 
Don't treasure up treasures for yourself on earth. Don't put your heart into these things. And he goes on in verse 20, and he says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So on the contrary, rather than storing up material wealth and temporal treasure, Jesus' followers are to store up treasures in heaven where they're not susceptible to destruction. Now, how do you do this? That's a question that a lot of people ask. Well, how do you store up treasure in heaven? How do you lay up for yourself treasure in heaven? Well, let's do this. We'll start by saying this is talking about the doctrine of heavenly rewards. Has anybody ever heard that term before? The Bible talks about rewards in a number of places in heaven for that which we do in the name of Christ while we're here, right? So we'll start by saying that we're talking about heavenly rewards. Rather than treasuring up temporal treasures, Jesus is our true treasure. When Jesus is your true treasure, you commit your resources, your money, your time, and your talents to his work in this world. Now, the motivation behind this is of all importance. In chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So if you do your work as unto the Lord, there's a reward eternally for that. If you just, you know, don't do, you're not working for man, really. It's a good thing to think about when you're at your job, right? Uh, the Christian should be the best employee in the world because they're working as unto the Lord, not unto man, right? That's what it says in the book of Colossians. This is how we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven is when we do things motivated by serving God. The things that we do where we're motivated to serve the kingdom of God, those things um, bring about heavenly rewards. We lay up for ourselves treasures when we serve sacrificially for Jesus' sake, serving the body of Christ. Now, even the things that seem small and go unnoticed— those things get rewarded. Do you remember in Matthew 10, verse 42, he says, uh, if anybody gives a cup of cold water to any of these little ones, which are my disciples, I say, by all means, he will not lose his reward, right? Even something as small as giving a cup of water to somebody else. Uh, Jesus, if the motive is serving the kingdom, then God will reward you for that. That's, that's incredibly helpful for, for us to remember. Um, a lot of times in the body of Christ, it's not the guy that's standing in front of people that are going to have the, the majority of the heavenly rewards, right? It's the people behind the scenes that aren't getting credit for what they're doing. They're just doing the little things, and they're doing them as unto the Lord. It's so important to, on that subject, to serve not for our own glory, um, but for the good of the kingdom. Remember a few messages ago where it said that the religious hypocrites, they fasted and they gave and they did all these things so they would be seen by men. And Jesus said, you don't have any reward in heaven. You already have your reward. Your reward is that man is noticing you for what you're doing. It's important to not do these things for our, old, or for our own glory. There's a poem uh, by C.T. Studd. You guys maybe have heard this one. And he says in the poem, he says, uh, only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's very true. The Bible teaches that over and over again. The things that are temporal are not going to last, but the things that are done uh, for eternity will last forever. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven when we serve our true treasure, Jesus. None of the materials that we have now obviously are going to 
come with us. Even though the pharaohs would bury themselves with their treasures, right? Or well, somebody else would bury them. They wouldn't bury themselves. It'd be kind of weird, right? In fact, there's a whole bunch of celebrities that have been buried with weird things. I found a story of one. You guys know Tony Curtis, Jamie Curtis's dad, right? This is what he was buried with. Uh, his coffin, uh, it says, Tony Curtis shared his coffin with a traveling bag full of photos and letters, a model of his car, driving gloves, some cash, his Navy medals, a pair of his grandson's baby shoes, a patch from Hungary, gold coins, two watches, uh, some stones that he picked up from travels, DVD clips of, uh, from his favorite films, his iPhone, sunglasses, seven packets of Splenda, a sleep mask, his dog's ashes, paintbrushes, paints, sketch pads, a pen and his well-worn Stetson under his arm. I mean, you're not going to take it with you, right? Treasures are, earthly treasures are temporal. It's kind of ridiculous. But the things that we do for our true treasure, Jesus, the resources we invest into his work and into his kingdom, the Bible says that they're going to have some sort of eternal reward. Put it this way. Jesus is telling us that the best account to invest in is the eternal account, right? You can invest in savings accounts, and you can get maybe 0.5% interest on your money. Uh, You know, you can invest in the stock market, and typically if you do that, you're glued to your Robinhood app or something, and that's where your heart is, right? But the best account to invest in by far is the eternal account. You think about your life is so short, you know? I just turned 43, and I think about, oh, my gosh, how fast life goes by, you know? And you're here such a short time, but you'll be in eternity for eternity. So it just makes logical good sense to invest in your eternity. Then in verse 21, Jesus states a kind of a summary statement principle of what we just talked about, and he says, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart is always with your treasure. This is about the loyalty of the heart. Materialism is not compatible with loyalty to God. You are loyal to what you treasure. You are mastered by what you treasure. What you set your heart on, that's your master. Now, because God is to be our master... We must guard against allowing material things to take his place, and we do this by choosing what we will treasure. That's a choice. I can choose what I decide to treasure, right? That's a choice. So first of all, we need to choose what we will treasure. Number two, let's choose how we will see. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. And he goes on to give this illustration about the body and the eye. A very simple illustration, but admittedly, taken out of context, this is very confusing. Uh, who knows what Jesus is saying if you take this thing just by itself? I've heard all kinds of different interpretations of this passage. Um, but you never take a passage out of context in Scripture. You always keep it there, and when you do that, you'll find really what it means. He's in the context of talking about material wealth, right? And so the first very simple thing that we'll point out is he's saying the lamp of the body is the eye. So Light comes into the body or into the being through the eye. It's very much, you know, sort of like a window that lets light into the house, right? If you have clean windows, the sun comes into the house nicely, 
But if you have filthy windows, not so much. And that's what he's, uh, the illustration that he's going with here. Going on in verse 22, if you, the point is if you see material things from a spiritual perspective, then you are filled with light. He says, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be filled with light. The, the lamp of the body is the eye. And so if your eye is good, this, what Jesus is getting at is if your eye sees material things through a spiritual perspective, then your body will be filled with light. Your being will be filled with light, right? I like the way the Living Bible puts it. It says, if your eye is pure, then there will be sunshine in your soul. <laughs> I don't know how accurate that is to the Greek or anything, but it's pretty neat. Um, very true, though. Now, if you have a King James Bible here today, you're noticing that that word is the word single. If your eye be single, then thy body shall be filled with light. And it's because the Greek word translated good in our translation, translated single in King James Version, it's a really interesting word. So a lot of, com or a lot of translations have it differently. The idea of the word is probably better captured, actually, in the King James Version. It does mean single. Here's the Greek definition from one Greek scholar. Uh, single, not complex, easy. It is used of the eye as not seeing double as when it is diseased. This is when the eye accomplishes the purpose of seeing things as they are, then it is single then it is healthy. In other words, when my eye isn't double, it's, I, I'm not divided between loyalties. I'm not divided between worldliness and spirituality. I'm not divided between the material world and the, heaven world, the heavenly world. My eye sees things singly in a healthy way, right? And when that's the case, when I'm motivated by that singleness of purpose, spiritual purpose, then my whole being will be filled with light. Another way that this has been translated, it was an old Jewish saying that said, if you had a healthy eye, you had a generous eye, right? If you had a healthy eye, you had a generous eye based on an old Jewish saying. That would go into the same sort of thinking. If I see material wealth as what it really is, it's God's blessing to me as a stewardship for me to distribute and to do good things for the kingdom with, then I would be generous, right? I wouldn't be like the greedy nut that when it sneezes says, cashew, <laughs> see now, now you got it. A generous eye. You ask yourself, how are my eyes? How's my vision? Am I generous? If you have a healthy eye, if you see things spiritually, if you're generous, if you have the right understanding of material possessions, your body will be filled, your being will be filled, your heart will be filled with light. But, verse 23, if your eye's bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he kind of gives uh, an interesting statement. If therefore that light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness, right? If the thing that's supposed to be bringing light in is actually bringing darkness in, how great is that darkness, right? In other words, if your eye sees material wealth, money, possessions through a worldly perspective, he who dies with the most toys wins. The only thing that is important is getting more and more and more. If you see things like that, your whole being is filled with darkness, right? 
And the thing that's supposed to be bringing light into you, your spiritual sight, since it's corrupted, how great is that darkness, right? This also was an expression among the Jews, this evil eye, or if your eye is bad. Um, it describes an envious, covetous, covetous man or a covetous disposition. It's a man who hated his neighbor's prosperity, he loved his own money, and he would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. Now, experience certainly tells us that this is true, doesn't it? It's like those that are greedy and covetous that base too much on material things, they're the most miserable, right? They're, they're never satisfied. If money is your master, you don't ever have enough money. You can't ever make enough money. You're never satisfied. If your looks are your master. See, this doesn't just apply to money. This applies to any created, any material thing. If your looks are your master, you never look good enough. And you keep getting more frustrated as you get older and wrinkled and all those things that happen. I just turned 43. I, believe me, I have more ear hair now than I have head hair. It's just crazy. I thought there was, I was like, what is this? I thought it was like a bug in my ear or something like that. It's not a bug, man. It's hair. If looks are your master, you're just getting more miserable the older you get. If food is your master, you don't ever have enough to eat. If comfort is your master, you're never comfortable. If happiness is your master, you're never happy. If your heart is set on relationships, if they're your master, you never seem to find the right one. You typically ruin all the ones that you do have, right? That's the way that this universe, that this world is set up. If you pursue anything other than Jesus Christ, the thing that you pursue, you're never satisfied with it. If you've lived long enough, you know that to be true because you've tried it. You've been down all these dead ends before. If your eye is bad, your whole body's full of darkness. If you see this world from a worldly perspective, you see things as where you're going to get your security and your meaning and your purpose and your significance out of these things, out of your money, out of your looks, out of your relationships. If you see the world as being what God is supposed to be to you, you're going to be forever frustrated, miserable, and you're going to be filled with darkness. That's what Jesus is getting at here. How many depressions, anxieties, worries, despair come from having a skewed vision, living for the wrong things? Double-mindedness causes more than double the amount of problems. So because God is to be your master, you must guard against allowing material things to take his place. You must choose what you will treasure, and you must choose how you will see. Will you have a worldly or a spiritual perspective? Brings us to the last point. You'll need to choose whom you will serve. And as I was praying about this, this message this week, and I was thinking about, um, you know, the Lord put on me that maybe today, you know, this is going to be the day where you choose to you know, heed what's said in the Word of God here today. This might be the day where you choose 
I just want to say that before we read this verse here, because this has been strong on my heart that, you know, the Lord's been telling me, Adam, as a pastor, you need to be my mouthpiece. You need to call people to make a choice, right? And so I think that he has that for at least somebody here today. This verse just really brought that out. Uh, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. No one can serve two masters. Picture, you know, the old uh, world around where Jesus was at in the Roman world, um, slavery was the common thing, right? And so picture a slave owned by two masters, right? It did occur at times. You see, a father could die and leave an inheritance to his kids, and they could both end up, you know, two kids could end up owning the same servant, right? And, uh, you know, the slave, the servant, he would naturally prefer one of the masters over the other. And so you can imagine the difficulties uh, because, uh, you know, both slave owners claimed the one slave as property. Jesus is simply stating the impossibility of serving two masters here. Plainly, it is impossible to serve him correctly while trying to serve anything else. That's what he's saying, right? Like, I'm to be your master. And so Jesus is saying, I'm to be your master. And so I want you to understand that there's an impossibility of serving two masters. Now, we must understand that all humans have a master, right? Some people may hear the word like master and servant, and they may say, I'm nobody's servant. I'm not a master, or I don't have a master. All humans have a master. It's how we're created. Every single one of us in this room follows a master governing passion or a master idea in life of what they think, what you think life is all about. There is some reason that you get out of bed every single day. You have some idea in your mind of what life is about, right? And that is a master. That's a God. Every man has a God. Not everybody worships the true and living God, the one that rose from the dead to prove that he was, right? Not everybody worships the true and living God, but everybody worships a God, right? Some people worship the God of money. Some people worship the God of sex. Some people worship the God of comfort. Some people, you know, I mean, you can keep making a list of these different things. So we have to understand all humans have a master. Now, if anybody thinks that they are serving two masters successfully, they're deceived. It doesn't work like that. Jesus says it's impossible. We see many times in the Old Testament where God's people thought that they were able to serve, you know, the gods around them and serve Yahweh. And you guys know what happened every time, right? It was like, oh, here, we're Israel. We're not to mingle with, you know, the Baal worship and the other idolatrous pagan nations around. We're not to worship what they do. But they took them into their practice. They started to, you know, burn incense to these other gods. They started to marry women that were um, involved in these other pagan religions. And what always happened? Was it that these other religions became followers of Yahweh? It was always the opposite. It was always the decline of God's people being taken into this pagan worship. You cannot serve two masters. 
Jesus called them adulterers and adulteresses many times because of their divided loyalties. You cannot be a successful Christian and be mastered by material possessions all at the same time. It's impossible. That's what Jesus is saying. Look at the problem of divided loyalties there, verse 24. So you're trying to serve two masters. You know, you've got, you're trying to have two main priorities in life. Your heart is going after two main things. And he says, here's the problem, verse 24. For either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. The problem with attempting to serve two different masters is you end up favoring one over the other, and when that happens, you start despising the other because you're being torn in two different directions, right? He's saying it's impossible to be his follower while being a slave to material things. It's impossible to serve Jesus in the way that he demands and serve the God of materialism. People struggle with this. You know, I've seen this where it's I've seen this a lot as a pastor where I, I've come a lot. You ever heard of like a jailhouse conversion? You know, it's where somebody hits some or a heart attack Christian, right? They hit some sort of negative consequences in their life. Something bad happens. And so then they want to become a Christian. And time and time again, the same things happen, you know. After things start to go a little better, the divided loyalty starts to kick in again. They say, well, my problem's out of the way, but, you know, I still am really loyal to this other God of self. I want to please myself. I want to do the drugs again. I want to do, um, you know, Sunday comes around, and I understand that God wants me to be involved in a church. I get it, you know, but I've got to mow my lawn, and I've got to take care of my house. Those things are important. That's the divided loyalty. I know God says to be active and involved with the body of Christ. But, you know, I have to, you know, something else, something else is getting in the way. And eventually it becomes just so difficult. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you're torn between your obedience to Jesus Christ, but yet something else is pulling at your heart. The problem is, is you're trying to serve two masters. It doesn't work like that. You can only have one master. Jesus says it plainly. If you are putting things ahead of your life with Jesus Christ, do not be deceived. You are not serving Jesus, but you're serving those things. Going on in verse 24, now the impossibility of serving God correctly and anything else simultaneously. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, According to scholars, what is mammon, right? The word mammon originally had no negative connotation to it, okay? Originally, the word that's translated mammon here, this, this word, no negative connotation to it originally. All it meant was that which someone entrusts to another. In other words, stuff that you entrust to somebody else. That was the original meaning of the word. That's what mammon was, stuff that you entrust to somebody else. Throughout time, it developed a negative connotation, and then the understanding of this word was more like this, that which man trusts in. Rather than being stuff that I entrust to someone else, now mammon means that which I trust in. And so it's any sort of material thing. It's, I mean, a lot of people, it's, it's actually translated money in uh, the, 
New Living Translation, and it's you cannot serve God in money, but it's bigger than that. If you think it's just money, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole point of it because it's anything to do with the created world. Remember it says in the book of Romans that they started worshiping the created things rather than the creator? Anytime that our heart is mastered by the material world, so it's more than just money, right? You cannot serve God and anything created as a master. It doesn't work like that. So Mammon went from that which I entrust to you, just stuff, to being the stuff that I now trust in. This is where my heart is. This is where I'm looking for security. You could put it like this. It was Mammon with a small M, and then it became Mammon with a big M eventually. And Jesus here personifies this evil spirit of material worship, right? That's what he's doing. And he's saying, you cannot serve this and me at the same time. He's saying that no one can be his slave and also a slave to anything material simultaneously. It just doesn't work. Now, I want to just give you a few verses today that talk about this concept of us belonging to God, right? Like, we've forgotten in the American church in 2021 the relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants to be a heavenly father to you. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. But also through the Bible, it's clear that he is the master and we are the servants. And we forget that. I can't tell you how many times I see that in my own life of me thinking I'm my own master, right? And me deciding when and how and where I will obey God. It happens all the time, right? I've been in numerous counseling situations with people where they're having uh, you know, issues in their life, and I'm meeting with them, I'm giving them scriptural counsel, and they're listening to it as, this, as though they're deciding of whether they're going to do what God says or not. We've lost the concept that God is the master and you are the servant. We've, we've forgotten that. You know? The prosperity gospel has it all jacked up. They say that you are a little God and you can proclaim your destiny and your reality and you can essentially... Anything you say in faith, you make God give you what you ask. That has the whole role thing all reversed, right? That, there, I'm the master. I'm, when I proclaim something in faith, God is, you know, that's the TV Christianity that you see, you know, late at night when you're desperate and you see the guy trying to get you to send him uh, your wedding ring and all your money and all that stuff. The roles are totally reversed in that sort of Christianity. God is my master. I'm the servant, Right? I don't boss him around. It's it's a weird thing. It's very American. It's very American where nobody's the boss of us. (laughs) How many times do your kids say that? You're not the boss of me. Oh, really? And then you you come back with, I brought you into this world. What? (laughs) All right. Well, God could very well say that to you. Right? It's only by the fear of the Lord that we understand this, right? If you've never grabbed a hold of this today, God will give this to you. God will show you this. God will show you the fear of the Lord. He will show you that he's the master, and that you're the servant. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Christ bought you with his blood. That's a huge price. You don't belong to yourself. You were not your own. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is good. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That, that one's pretty straightforward, right? He made us. We didn't make ourselves. Because he made us, we have what theologians call a dependent responsibility. It's very much the same. You see it in the illustration of parents and kids. You say, I created you. You will do what I tell you. You know, that's good parenting, by the way. I made you. You do what I tell you until uh, you're an adult, and then you could do your own thing. But you do what I tell you because I'm your parent. God's essentially saying the same thing. I made you. You didn't, you didn't make yourself. I, you belong to me. Isaiah 43, verse 21. He says this, The people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. This is a good one too. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Nobody lives to himself. We live unto the Lord. Titus 2 verse 14 says, He who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. See the illustration there? He uses the word redeem. God is saying that he himself, the word redeemed has to do with the slave market. God bought us out of slavery to Satan, and he freed us from that old wicked master as his own people to purify us for good works, right? Then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Right? He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. God is to be your master, my master. Therefore, I need to guard my heart, you know, my heart allowing things to take the place that only belongs to God. As his follower, you and I, we, as followers, we must choose um, what our treasure will be, choose how we will see from a spiritual or worldly perspective. And we need to make that choice of whom we will serve. It says in the Old Testament, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Deuteronomy it says, um, I've put today, uh, today before you life and death. Choose life, right? You need to make a choice. Remember, I want you to remember, too, that Jesus is writing this to believers. He's saying, you believe and you follow me, but yet your heart's divided in between material stuff and between spiritual stuff, and so you need to choose. You need to choose who's going to be your master because you're not serving both successfully. He wants your whole heart, and we belong to him. So, 
This is a real temptation for Christians, especially in America when we are extremely rich compared to the majority of the world. We have so much that we really don't realize just how dependent on God that we are. Is that, is that a thought that you've had recently, just how dependent you are upon God? I mean, we, we forget about this in America. We have so much, we just don't really realize how much we need him. We live like we are our own masters, doing what feels right. We must not be deceived. Today, you're either mastered by Jesus Christ or you are mastered by something else. There's just no way around it today. You're either mastered by Jesus or you're mastered by something else. Something else has allegiance and control over you. Jesus wants you to be mastered by him. He's the good master. He does good things for you when, when you serve him. You know, he brings peace and life, truth. So, before we come to the Lord's table today, um, I want to just give a moment to um, speak to anybody here that has been struggling with divided loyalties. I want to invite you today, you that have been struggling with the love of material things, to make a choice, to repent of this, to turn from this, to confess to the Lord. I've, been, I've had divided loyalties. Whether you're a believer, maybe you're not a believer. For believers, we need to have our heart checked regularly. Maybe this is that time. If you know it's that time today that God's tugging on your heart, it's time that you tell him that he's going to be top priority of your life. Anybody been dealing with this recently? Anybody? There's one guy, God bless you, two, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people deal with this, right? You want today to tell God, I'm done wrestling with divided loyalties. The best I know how, Lord, I'm going to put my life in your hands. You're going to be Lord of my life. Anybody want to, want to do that today? You would think all the same hands would go up, but I don't know, maybe not, you know. Notice I put the best I know how because this is a struggle. This is a battle for us. Maybe you're coming to this for the first time in your life and you realize that your life has been mastered by something. Now, just like that song, went, the first song we said, who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Now, Jesus Christ can break the power of any master over your life. And he's willing to do that if you're willing to give your life to him. He's willing to break that power that anything else has over your life. Maybe depression has a hold on you. Maybe sex has a hold on you. Maybe relationships have a hold on you. Maybe your looks, maybe money, maybe it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe something has a hold on you. Maybe you're addicted to something, uh, any kind of substance. Maybe you're addicted to playing golf. I don't know. But if you're being mastered by something else, Jesus is more than willing to break the power of sin and darkness in here today. And so if that's you, uh, you can raise your hand right now too and we'll pray for you. All right, good, good. Holy smokes. Okay. Bunch of people. Whoa. 
He breaks the power of sin and darkness. He sets the captives free. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, quoting Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring the good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to bring liberty to the captives. And that was Jesus' mission. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do that. And he will do that today. If you will believe and you will but trust in him and you will trust in his work of the Holy Spirit and you'll put your life fully in his hands, the best you know how, God will break this power over your life. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you today, all these honest people that raise their hand. And Father, first of all, we want to thank you. We're grateful for you, and we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for your Spirit's work here today. Father, I admit that I have allowed myself to be mastered by something other than you. I admit, Father, that I have treasured things that are not worthy of treasuring. I admit, Father, that I have been wrestling in my allegiance to you. Father, I need your help. By your Holy Spirit, will you please break the power that this master has over me? Will you do what you said and set this captive free. I trust you. I believe in you. And I'm counting on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Corey, if you would, um, go ahead. And, Corey's going to start handing out the elements here today. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and publicly proclaimed that he is your Lord and Savior, maybe you've given your life, but you've never publicly proclaimed that he is your Lord and Savior, I also want to give you that opportunity today. Um, anybody want to give their life to the Lord today for the first time? Um, if you do, just raise your hand if this is you. If you've never publicly proclaimed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you would like to do that, raise your hand. Um, the Bible says uh, that it's good to confess with the mouth and believe in the heart. The reason that this is so important is because, you know, if you believe something, you don't have any problems saying it, right? And that kind of like uh, calls you to account, doesn't it? And so the Bible, uh, Jesus says, if you, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my heavenly Father. And so, is that you today? Does anybody want to publicly proclaim their faith in Christ here from the church body? Anybody? Okay, because I want to always give you an opportunity to do that. All right. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word here today, and we thank you for those that have come forward for healing and for deliverance, Father. And we pray that during this time of communion, your spirit work in their heart, Lord, and that they receive what you've done here today by faith and walk it out in faith. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.